It's the Great Dante Read-Through. It's the Great Dante Read-Through, where we are reading through all of the comic strip, The Adventures of Nikolai Dante. Co-created by Robbie Morrison and Simon Fraser from the weekly science fiction anthology comic, 2000 AD. I'm Simon Fraser. And I'm Edie Nugent, freelance writer and Simon's wife. Join us as we swashbuckle our way through the Russian Empire of the future. Warning, there will be spoilers. We will be talking in depth about these comics, so if you haven't read them yet, listen at your own risk. To join our book club and read along with us, go to shop.2000ad.com to pick up the books in hard copy or digital. Today we're reading Tour of Duty, found in Progs 1131 through 1133. Hi, Simon. Hi, Edie. So here we are. We are here reading Tour of Duty. Tour of Duty. Okay. Um, so who wrote it, who drew it, who colored it, who lettered it? Well, it was written by Robbie Morrison, of course. Uh, the art is by Charlie Adlard. And the colors are by Disraeli. It's a new name for us. Disraeli is, uh, if you read 2000 AD regularly, you'll know he's an incredible artist, one of my favorite artists of 2000 AD. Um, and he's stepping in to do coloring here, which is unusual for him. I don't know if he did much coloring, but he stepped in uh, to help out. Okay. And letters are by Annie Parkhouse. Yay. Yay. Annie. Annie Parkhouse. Fabulous. Indeed. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, so we're opening up here with a... Dante being burned alive by his big brother, apparently. Is that just like a kind of a random splash page? It's just, just to sort of set the mood of what's to come? I think that the idea was that we did, we have, we've got six pages to work with. Okay. And at this stage, we decided to devote a whole first page to a splash image. Which okay. Which is pretty decadent when you've only got six pages to play with. So yeah, start the, the image here we got is basically a metaphorical one of Dante on fire. Though he does end up on fire and Constantine does end up. Being. All right, all right, all right. Don't metagame. We haven't um, gotten okay. there Get yet, there. sir. It's okay, a, a so um, we open up in the year of the Tsar 2668. Yes, indeed. We are in St. Petersburg. We are. Um, and is that, that's our space egg? That's our floating that's space egg in the gold. background there? Strangely Why is gold, it gold? I don't know. That's uh, our that's our new colorist, uh, yeah. is, is jazzing it up gold. What's going on there, Disraeli? <laughs> should, should I no-prize that? What? Why? Should I Why should I offer a challenge sure. to our listeners? Okay, our next no prize is no prize. Why is the imperial imperial palace imperial, imperial palace. floating space egg? Why is it gold with with little like ruby accents in it? It's very Fabergé. It's gone. It's very. It's gone Fabergé. It's gone glamorous. <laughs> so okay. anyhow, we are in Saint Petersburg, and a young redheaded woman is running up the steps of the hotel Zosimov. Z Zosimov. 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 Who knows? Okay. Yeah. Don't know what that is. Potential no prize there. If that mm. has some meaning, let us know. Um, and we have a voiceover overlaying the scene um, from a letter she's writing to her mother, which even though it's apparently out of fashion to write letters in 2668, she's doing this because of the depth of her feelings regarding a man she's fallen in love with. Mm -hmm. And she turns her head and her parasol to see her love, a man called Quentin and it's... 
is Nikolai Dante. It's Dante. Mm -hmm. It's in a yellow coach. And his yeah. hair is up business Dante style. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, she, in her letter, talks about him being a sensitive, tender, unassuming, and romantic lover. The, the most unassuming and romantic lover she's ever had. Wow. So this is quite a performance he's, he's from our Dante. Definitely go game. I mean, that's that's incredible. <laughs> I don't know if he missed his calling uh, with, with, with chops like that. Um, it and is so, his calling. <laughs> it is his calling. And uh, Dante uh, calls her Ingrid, and she throws herself into his arms, and they have a passionate kiss. And, it almost uh, seems too good to be true. Well, I mean, the minute Dante turns around, that's kind of like a horror yeah. movie moment. It's like, Mom, I've uh, met this uh, man uh, I love. Uh, it's Dante. <laughs> Neil Scratch. <laughs> For real. Um, and so as she's in his arms, the poor thing um, starts uh, reliving the first time that they met. Mm -hmm. Right? And Dante clearly doesn't remember it. <laughs> he's like... Mm. I love that he's a Chilean wine merchant. <laughs> It's very specific. Yeah, because that's what you could get. It was like back back in those days, Chile and Cabernet Sauvignon had come on the market, which was surprisingly good and very affordable. I see. So we were drinking a lot of that back in the mid nineties. Oh really? Yeah, Chile and Cabernet Sauvignon, Chile and Merlot. It was like really popular. That was the stuff. So yeah, this is Robbie. That's like uh, it's like Malbec when I was in my early twenties. Right. That's what yeah, everyone was, was Argentinian Malbec now. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So. Um, Okay, so Dante doesn't remember their first meeting, but she remembers in detail, and she's soon pledging her undying love to him. And at this point, Dante just can't keep it up anymore, yeah. and he admits that he's lied to her. Yeah. Just as Constantine... Now, is it Constantine or Constantine? I think Constantine. I've always Because I've been saying Constantine, Constantine but sometimes you yeah. say Constantine, and I fear I, uh, I'm doing it wrong. Um, I think Constantine. Let's go with Constantine. Okay. Constantine? Tin. Tin. Yeah. Like Rin Tin Tin. Yeah. Got it. it. Okay. So Constantine uh, walks in on the scene yeah. and introduces himself and prompts Dante to sheepishly give Ingrid his real name. Mm -hmm. Dante. Nikolai yeah. Dante. I should point out that Quentin Durward, for those who are aware, is a reference to Sir Walter Scott. Uh, okay. Great Scottish romantic the great novelist. Scottish. Uh... Yeah. So um, Dante will use that nom de plume again. Um, I it's see. Basically, when he wants to be the romantic swashbuckler, one of his numerous Is that, Was that kind of, I mean, I, I, ha, I feel really bad admitting this, but I've not read any Sir Walter Scott. Is that right. what he writes about? Does yeah, he write about romantic? romantic big okay. romantic fiction. Big romantic Ivanhoe, fiction. Ivanhoe, Quentin Durward, um, you know, the, okay. the great romantic. He was a very, very popular novelist in the romantic, uh, in the Victorian era. So that's era. his, his alias he, here, Quentin. Is, yeah, and he, is... he largely defined what it is to be Scottish in the modern era because he kind of wrote this kind of romantic mythology of Scotland, which is not really true, but hey, print the story, <laughs> not the, the reality. Print the legend. Yeah, print the legend. Yeah. Uh, right. So yeah, we have some fun with him. As you say. Um, so um, so he tells Ingrid his real name, and uh, Constantine leads Ingrid to a bunch of floating televisions. Yep. Drink! Floating we television. have a floating future thing! Yay. Yay! And these floating televisions somehow conveniently have Dante's sexual exploits playing on them. Mm -hmm. Like, who is filming Dante? Why do we have video... Of all of these smooches and intimate dinners and, like, Dante in bed with someone? At this stage, we have to assume that Dante's being filmed is every being... <laughs> moment of the day by is everybody. Is this Dimitri? Has Dimitri, like, yeah, commissioned yeah, someone it's, to... It's a setup. It's, he's, it's a honeypot. Dante's basically been used as a, as a, as a seductor. A seducer. 
I mean, is this compromise? So, so are these compromised situations that Dante was aware of and in on, or is this like oh, yeah, situations yeah. where he didn't know he was being filmed? I'm pretty sure he knew he was being. Oh filmed. my god! So this is dark. So basically, this is like Dante is like a, a um, what do they call them? A love grifter, like basically a, a, a con person. Yeah. Like emotional grifter. Well, he's being used. Yeah, his skills are being used. Like off screen, this has happened a bunch. And we're coming in on one of these plans. No, now. no, no. This is this is this is him being used by his family. No, right, but he's aware of it. Yeah, I mean, he's, this is his job. Because we haven't seen the these woman. these other times that he's romanced. But this is the same profit. woman. This is all the same woman. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's this them. Is, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought he was just like, oh. look at all these other women he's been with, but yeah. this is her. This oh, is Ingrid. Right. No, 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 no. This is this Ingrid. is all this Ingrid. Is, okay. Compromising, compromising pictures so that Ingrid oh, can be manipulated okay. so Ingrid, into betraying oh. her trust of her her master. Okay, that that makes a lot more yeah. sense. Well, right. yes. Um, mm -hmm. So basically, um, he explains it because Ingrid is the lady in waiting to Juliana Makarov, mm -hmm. the Tsar's youngest, the Tsar's youngest daughter, and I think the Tsar. The first time we've heard her mentioned. It, yes, she will become very important later. I would hope so because mm -hmm. she we're sort of really hinting at yeah. her here. Yeah. Um, and because the Tsar hates Dante, should he mm -hmm. find out about Ingrid and Dante's tryst, he'd likely execute both of them. Right. For you know, yeah. uh, being a turncoat. Being annoying. Uh, being annoying. And faster than you can say blackmail, mm -hmm. that's what Constantine is doing, saying that he will trade his silence on her politically unsafe rendezvous for details of Juliana uh, Makarov's intimate life, mm -hmm. which is creepy. Yeah. Um, her movements, relationships, etc. Mm -hmm. Anything that's valuable to them. Right. Uh, they want the intel. And she fights this. Mm -hmm. uh, Ingrid, you know, says that she cares about Juliana and says, believes that Juliana will protect her, which is like, oh, is there some honor in the Makarov family? Charmingly naive of where they, <laughs> Where they give their servants the impression that they might actually defend them. She seems pretty sure. I mean, I like this idea of like your personal, your, your personal maidservant who believes that she's your friend. I mean, that kind of was a thing in, in history. A lot of times it's, different nobles would get close to... I think it's the nobles that thought the maidservants were their friends. I don't think the maidservants were maid any, any illusions about that. Right. Uh, Despite the, what Downton Abbey would have you yeah, believe. Yeah, the power balance is clear. Yeah, it's, uh, pretty, it's pretty unequal. You have no agency in that. And then she also says that Dante has already killed her, you yes. know, romantically. Yeah. I mean, she's a child. And and Constantine does not appreciate that hyperbole and starts threatening her mother, sister, mm. and nieces. Yes. You know, just for good measure. Yeah. We're going all the way down the tree. I mean, Constantine is full scumbag here. I mean, this, this really. Is, this is really what the story is all about. It's about the manipulation. Nice mom, yeah. sister, and nieces. Shame yeah. if something were to uh, happen to them. The Cold War that's being fought here is being fought at every level. Right. And that's really the story that's being told here. Um. So Dante, full of guilt... Uh, mm -hmm. charges his brother, mm -hmm. claiming he won't allow this to continue, and they no. start fighting. Yeah. And Constantine sort of just like really br quickly and brutally smacks Dante down. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the, the power imbalance is also physical. Right. Um, also, Dante's been super naive here. I mean, he's trying to go along with it. He's trying to be the good son, uh, and he has really no consequences of the, of the, the moral compromise he's been making. I don't think he's ever really had to deal with moral compromise before. I mean, usually he just like jumps out a window, swings off a right. flagpole, and he's gone. He never, never deals with the consequences <laughs> of what he's done. Now he's having to deal with the consequences of being a shit. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh, this and is this uncomfortable. And this poor girl is like crying right. yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot. She's clearly and, very upset. I mean, for all his, his sins, Dante does seem to be quite empathic. Um, it's just maybe 
one of his redeeming characteristics is he, he does do horrible things, but he does feel bad about them. He does feel bad about them. That's true. Um, so, uh, so Constantine quickly, quickly, uh, makes short work of Dante's little mm -hmm. rebellion and reveals that the entire seduction of Ingrid was a part of a plan mm -hmm. that they both agreed on Dante and Constantine. And, uh, and then he gets like real dummy with Ingrid, yeah. uh, making her say she'll inform on Juliana to drain the last bit of defiance from her. Mm -hmm. She kind of whispers like, oh yes. I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Dante's all about, or Dom, uh, Constantine's all about power. Yeah. All about power. Um, and, uh, and so then uh, after she acquiesces, Ingrid gives Dante a good going over because mm -hmm. he's apologizing as Constantine's goons like sort of lead her away and say he's saying he's sorry and she's saying she can't believe how he used her and she'll hate him till the day she dies. Oh, good. Um, I, I just, he's trying to apologize for doing this. And it's like, how can you possibly... I. It's like he doesn't, he can't, it, he can't accept that he's going to be hated. It's weird to me that he didn't realize it was going to go this bad. Like, I mean, especially because mm. she says he's this gentle lover and everything. Mm. Like, what did he think was going to yeah. happen when you, like, spend days and days having sex with someone and being super, like, gentle and caring and you think, and then you're yeah. going to blackmail them and somehow they're just not going to be that sad about it. They're going to be yeah. like, oh, this kind of I mean, sucks. But Also, she's you know. clearly very young and kind of inexperienced, so she's, yeah. she's taking it very personally, which, of course, it is. I, um, I honestly don't know what he expected. He seems almost surprised that it went this badly, and that's weird. I think this story could have been longer, and we could have had the preamble to this, but I understand why Robbie had to cut it tight, because we don't have space to play with. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're cutting. We're coming in, in media res yeah. right here. Um, so I think it's important. We, I think, I think it would have been nice if we'd had more space. You know, the, I mean, the, the eternal complaint. Yes. If we'd had more space and time, we could have made this a bit more. We could have dealt with the preamble to this, the build up to this, right? And seen the process of it. And I think that would have been interesting right. too. But, you know. And uh, it actually the hashet a little mistake here in the yeah. hashet edition. Right. It says the end, but oh it is God. it no, is no, not no, in yeah. fact the end. Yeah, yeah. It is sort of like the end of that part. Yeah, um, not tidying up. But properly. the story tour of duty continues, mm -hmm. um, and we travel to the Genetico Research Satellite, mm -hmm. which is orbiting Imperial Earth. Yeah. And Doctor Sequana, mm -hmm. the founder of Genetico, is showing Dante and Constantine the Genetico gene pool. <laughs> Which is literally a pool. <laughs> yes, which, well, according to a voiceover, it engages in gene prospecting, the science of pinpointing nasty disease genes, developing uh, cures for them, and then marketing the cures. Right, okay. So it's kind of big pharma of the future. Sort of. And yeah, Constantine and Dante are on a platform in this large facility mm -hmm. overlooking swirling rivers and pools and large glass sort of pressurized tubes mm -hmm. full of pinkish living yes. DNA. It's literally the gene pool. It looks like um, <laughs> a big old bubble bath. Yeah. Like a big old foamy bubble bath. Yep. Swirly foamy. Um, and In respect, it is it is of the moment. This is definitely of the, the news of the time. Is like, oh my God, we're going to be pro prospecting in the gene pool for all kinds of things. And that's right. Like, yes, that's true. What Sna year are we in here? Do we know? The headlines. Uh, 1990? Yeah, we haven't Somewhere hit like 2000 yeah, yet. Yeah, no, we're not 2000 yet. Okay. So this, I think I was in Austin. I wasn't in Australia, in Australia at this point. Yes, definitely in Australia okay. at this point. So um, there's also a note here about acquiring the DNA of primitive indigenous populations shadily mm. yeah. for this enterprise, which 
you know, I could do without the primitive indigenous populations. Mm-hmm. Can we just say indigenous populations? Yeah. Well, I mean, but, it is being you know, said by bad guys, isn't it? No, it isn't. It's a, yeah. well, it's a voiceover from the Imperial Real Times time. science section, but yeah. just including the word primitive next to indigenous, don't do that. Think, like, now that, that we're here in the future, just don't do I that. I think Imperial Times kind of gives you all you need to know about that. It's a news source. I hear you, but the rest of it isn't, isn't so, mm-hmm. um, yellow journalism-y, just that one part, so it's singling it out. Anyway, just trust me. Drop it next time. Um, All the news sources in this Andante are partial. They all have a point of view. That's true. There's no authorial Mm -hmm. voice ever. Though Robbie does say things, but he uses someone else's voice to do it, and there's always a point of view. Mm. Um, So that's kind of crucial to know here. Yeah, well, the whole thing's shady and dubious Mm. and awful, because of course it is. Um, And why do it in a satellite? It doesn't make any (laughs) sense. (laughs) Why just in a warehouse somewhere? It's like, Jesus Christ. You know, because it's it's more futury if it's, it's a satellite. Future. It's the future. It's the future. Um, so uh, Constantine wants to talk business with this Dr. Evil guy. Mm-hmm. And they are heading back to his office and they pass another of the doctor's guests, Count mm. Pyre. Oh my goodness. Was he always a count? Was he always I, count? I feel I like he got invested with a count. Really? Ship. I, I, I don't know. I think okay. he's always been a count. Okay. As far as I know. Um, and the doctor's uh, daughter, Louisa, is mm-hmm. with him, mm-hmm. is with Pyre, standing next to what kind of looks like a cucumber cone head. Yeah. Don't know where that guy comes from. Um, he's just he's just there for the purpose of this story. Um, yeah. I think we were trying, to, there was a certain effort here to emphasize that there are alien other, beings around. Other races um, and, and species and the, the universe that kind is of a thing. Big universe. Sentient species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um and uh, Dante's ready to fight Pyre mm-hmm. um, and shoots out his bio blades and threatens him. And Pyre's just kind of like, why for Dante? Mm-hmm. I'm just here on business. And then Constantine is kind of like down boy. You know, he's here on official business. Mm-hmm. I'll slap the yeah, sh- yeah. crap out of you again if you yeah. try and, and do it. Um, and But the, the other important point we get to there is that Pyre's just kind of like, you know, that... Um, mm-hmm. uh, Pyre is there because he's talking about the percentage that's owned, owed to the czar of yeah. these genetico dealings. Again, underlining the gangsterish aspect. Right. Of the I was going to say, like, this Don Czar wants yeah. his percentage right. of this business. Which is basically what the royal houses are all about. They're basically gangsters by extension. Right. And Dante gets in a crack about how ugly Pyre is, which mm. for some reason Louisa laughs at. And Pyre's just kind of like, oh, that's cute. Mm. Like, he's not, he's not bothered. Um, and, uh, uh, Conehead, mm-hmm. Dr. Zamel, apparently mm-hmm. is his name, is, is going to be taking Pyre back to his ship. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Constantin, who's telling Dr. Evil that, uh, Dmitry Romanov wants in on the gene manipulation stuff mm-hmm. to help keep the Romanov, Romanov blood pure and strong. Nice and- satellite. Shame if somebody... Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he, he's definitely doing that, but like they do want this guy to partner with them yeah. because it's, obviously uh, it's appealing to Dimitri to mm-hmm. do any kind of gene manipulation considering the bioweapons. Sure. This is very attractive to him yes. to continue that mm-hmm. work. Um, and, uh, and to weed out, he says, surprises such as Dante, among mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. So we've got some foreshadowing there. I think you just need to tell your dad to keep his that pants on. <laughs> I think that's really what that comes down to. But. Seriously, it's like the whole rape culture thing yeah. of like, oh, how can a woman dress so that she doesn't get assaulted when she walks down the streets? Like maybe rapists could just like not rape people yeah. and that, that uh, we uh, should deal with that end of it. It's totally Dimitri. The, the more productive. Why are we contorting to, to like 
menace this gene manipulation facility just because Dimitri can't keep it in his pants. Uh, oh god. Anyway. Um, but anyway, but I like I like the foreshadowing there. I feel like maybe we're gonna get some more cool renegade bastard children of Dimitri coming in. Um, uh, I felt some foreshadowing there. We'll see if it plays out. No comment. No comment. Um, so then Dante, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, um, starts chatting up Louisa mm-hmm. and explains that he's got bad blood with Pyre over that whole Pyre sending his girlfriend to murder Dante thing. Mm-hmm. And we cut back to Pyre beating the poor cucumber cone head into unconsciousness so that he can cut open his arm and drip his blue blood into the swirling pink DNA pool mm-hmm. while explaining that his late assassin's girlfriend's DNA is somehow in his blood. He's literally corrupting the gene pool. He's corrupting the gene pool, but like also we're just skating over the mm-hmm. whole my lover's DNA is in me thing. Well, like, we don't know how these that? people we don't know how these people reproduce. Okay. It's possible that's part of it. They they are kind of like sure. prot- protean figures. They can right. shape shift. So who knows how they, they, they make out or I also love things. this like pink pool and blue blood it's like yeah. a screwed up sci-fi gender reveal or something <laughs> like what's happening here um and uh then we cut back to Luisa and dante chatting it up some more and she reveals that the dr evil guy is her father mm-hmm. and that she has no mother other than genetico yes um and then we cut back to the doctor refusing the offer of a partnership mm-hmm. to manipulate the romanov genes mm-hmm. Because uh, he fears the wrath of the czar. Yeah. Smartly, I fair, would say. Totally fair. fair. Point, frankly. Yeah. And Constantine counters by threatening him because mm-hmm. that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then D- we cut back to Dante, who is offering to bring Luisa back with him mm. to like see a world outside this and space station. Set her up with his little brother. And pair her up with Arkady for some so reason. She must be pretty young then. I mean, I guess. But Too like, young for Dante? Wow. Well, it's nice to know that there is a line. A, he has a line. That's good. Um, good to know. I, but also, like, Dante, I don't know, dude. Like, you've already had problems with a woman in green before, and mm. here's another woman wearing green that you're yeah. trying to... I don't know. Anyway, um, she declines and then freaks out because she sees that the gene pool they're walking by He's is mutating. mutating into frothy monsters. Creatures from the id. Which, like, if is this... this is a problem, why would you leave your gene pools just way open and exposed like that to your visitors? Yeah. Like, maybe that's not such a good idea if it mutates that easily. Just saying, we're looking at a big Forbidden Planet ripoff here. It, like, but also, like, could health and safety get on this? Like, really, this guy <sighs> can manipulate genes but can't, like, construct a, a gene pool that isn't just, like, open to the elements? I mean, like, what if they cough and, like, their spit... <laughs> Flies over the rail, like yeah, I know, that and contaminates should, the gene that pool. That gene pool should be wearing a mask. Yeah, you got. <laughs> yes, they should have been socially distanced from that gene pool. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, uh, anyway, Pyres infected the gene pool, and the froth monsters start attacking Dante. Giant metaphorical monsters. Yes. And not metaphorical because they're real. They're frothy, frothy they monsters. Are, they look they like are, they are the, so the bubble monsters. Of corrupted genes. Corrupted genes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start attacking everyone within reach. Yep. Um, so they fight the froth monsters, and Constantine tells Dante to protect Louisa and Duck, and he mm-hmm. shoots like a power blast over them. Mm-hmm. 
That's what Constantine does is he's like yeah, force field blasts, right? Force, yeah, energy blasts. It's kind blasts. of a Scott Summers thing, like a... Um, more or less, yeah. yeah he percussion blast. He seems to be very, it's very large, though. Okay. He can do enormously powerful blasts. Okay. Um, and this works to beat them back a little. Mm. Um, and as Dante's recovering, Constantine tells him how this whole thing is his fault because of murdering Pyre's girlfriend. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. Okay. And Luisa, shaming, I think. yeah, and Luisa pops up and offers the Deus Ex Machina, the Extinction Code. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only chance uh, they have, and the DNA basically has an extinction gene that can be activated to make all the DNA connected to the facility extinct. Presumably, that's what she says uh, to prevent rival cores raiding okay. their genetics. This is kind of like the lysine dependency in Jurassic Park. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, fail-safe. Yes, a fail-safe. So the group... Um, uh, Sorry. Yes, you, you, you missed a page Did to I? turn. Yeah, we, we went past this. There's some fighty-fighty action here, so... Yeah, that's it. There. So... That's, that's it. Um, so uh, the group climbs a ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, Louisa points out that this ladder leads up to the monitor outpost where they need to plug in this extinction code mm -hmm. thing. Um, and Dr. Evil's coming up the, the ladder last. And just before he gets to the top, Constantine stops him. And the froth monsters are like hot on his heels. And he asks again if the doctor will help mm -hmm. uh, eugenically manipulate the Romanovs. Mm -hmm. And the doc hesitates. And Louisa interrupts that she knows everything her father does, and she'll share it with Constantine to save her pops. Mm -hmm. And so Constantine then recklessly throws the doctor off the ladder and into the froth monsters. Uh-oh. Just getting rid of assets, Constantine, willy-nilly, yeah. because you're annoyed yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. This is not good business not rational, practice. frankly. No, very much not. Mm -hmm. um, they, need to, they need to breed that out of you, yeah. Constantine. It's not yeah. good. Not useful. Arrogance yeah. needs to be removed. And... Uh, uh, it'd be great if you could remove toxic masculinity, but anyway. Um, Dante is then mad at Constantine for duping another lady he was into. Yep. And Louisa's crying her eyes out on Dante. Um, and uh, Dante then has to protect them from some more froth monsters that are oncoming. And Louisa activates the extinction code, yep. which disassembles the DNA of the monsters and... Louisa. And herself. And Louisa. She, it literally says, what is it? The company is her her, her, her mother. That's her mother. Yeah, so she is. Yeah, he created her from there. Yeah. Um, her father did, and she dies in Dante's she arms. Magical is my family. Yeah. and she, But she dies explaining that she's totally cool with dying because Dante's description of the outside world was apparently, like, bleak enough mm -hmm. that she knows she'd never want to be a part of it. And Which is some cold stuff to say as you're done. And then Dante kind of agrees with yeah, her. Yeah, and then Dante's is, like, no, you're right. Which is kind of the point of this whole arc here. Yeah. It's like, wow, this world sucks. Being powerful in this world sucks. Um, why did I opt into this? I don't like it. And, like, this is the second time in the same year, I think, or within a year, mm -hmm. that, like, an innocent woman is dying in Dante's arms. Yeah. This well, is happening a lot. It won't be the last time either. I'm sure not. Mm. Um, which is awful. And Constantine's just standing there with his hands on his hips like an idiot. Because he just because destroyed. if he, he, he destroyed her father, which yeah. could have actually, yeah. you know, yeah. his blackmail he, could have worked if he, he hadn't been it. so willy nilly. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, Constantine is a malicious, gigantic prick, and he's also not that right. <laughs> um, you really get that sense, yeah, from from him. 
he's all about the flaunting and the voguing and but yeah. he's not really doesn't really think very much um, he he's he's the blunt instrument. I love it, the fact he calls himself the paladin of the of the Romanov family. Because like, what kind of prick calls themselves a paladin? Jesus, that isn't playing D and D. That isn't a dick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're playing D and D, fair enough. But a religious warrior for his family. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. You're not you're not too. Smart. I mean, I don't see a lot of. I mean, I guess he's kind of a purity thing. Anybody who hmm. doesn't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's yeah. Because the doctor like offended him, mm-hmm. offended his religion by denying right. his family, so he yeah. had to kill him, honor killing. Yep. Oh. Oh. Yeah, Turducci. <laughs> Next story. <laughs> so here's where I admit that I didn't see there was a part three. No, you haven't read it yet. No. <laughs> oh my god! Pause. Pause podcast while Edie catches up. Okay. Okay, we're back. So we're back. We're back. <laughs> Tour of Duty, part three. Part three. So we begin the third and far, final part of Tour of Duty, which is basically three vignettes of Dante doing dirty deeds, dirt cheap with for the Valentin, Romanovs. Yes. With, no, with Constantine. Constantine, sorry. Yes. I get them confused because they're yes. both jerks. They are both jerks, but but Valentin's like yeah. a little more evil, I think. Yeah. Whereas Constantine is just kind of well, brutish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, found, yeah I'm, yeah, a little more sadistic. Dimitri, I think we're talking yeah. about. Dimitri is is. Uh, wait a minute, which are we talking about? Valentine. Okay, you mentioned Valentine. Did I? Yes. Okay. Who was more sadistic in my? He was mad. Estimation, He's yes. Mad per- and, person. And uh, and Constantine is just yeah. more brutal. That's He's, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, and then He's, there's Dimitri, who's he's fine. the heavy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. He's the blunt force. He's the blunt force. He thinks he's a paladin. He thinks he's a holy warrior. He does. In actual fact, he's just the blunt force. Yes. So now we're on a planet called Kraga mm-hmm. to convince the authorities there to acquiesce to the Romanov tax demands by any means necessary. Yeah. And Dante is negotiating with. Uh, the Kragen, which are a race who look kind of like the reptilians of like conspiracy theory fame. Uh, I think they, they kind of looks like baby Godzillas. They all look like. I mean, obviously there's a Godzilla thing going on here. I thought this was like that. You know that conspiracy where like high placed people in government are apparently part of reptilians who've invaded Not Earth really. and are taking over like body snatchers. This might be a more reference to the original V. We're talking about the nineties here. Sure. Um, but, uh, so he's, he's negotiating with the head Kragen, who's mm. apparently named Dave, Dave, yeah. mm-hmm. Dave the Kragen. Yes. And it's not going well because Dave gives the order to fire a bunch of tanks surrounding Dante mm-hmm. and somehow they miss. Mm-hmm. And we jump back to 13 minutes earlier when Dante was also negotiating with Dave the Kragen, mm-hmm. but this was back in the throne room. Yeah. And Dante says, just take this deal for taxes. It's the same deal mm-hmm. all the off-word fiefdoms get. Mm-hmm. But Dave is having none of it. And he exclaims that the Kragans are warriors and hunters and are being corrupted by human influence. This so, is what made me think that they, this was a reference to the I, I don't know. to the reptilians because it's the whole, like, corrupting humans. Anyway. Maybe. I mean, I think, I think Dave is clearly a charismatic and he's uh, convinced his people, as periodically what happens is oppressed people will get a charismatic leader, and he's convinced them that they can rise up and overthrow their oppressors, uh, more fool them. But what actually, well, in what, this what, situation, I mean, what I like about this we're story, happy about certain uprisings. Sure. Um, what I like about this is like, well, this is five pages. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, six. I mean, it's it's a very well condensed piece of storytelling. I mean, I, I often get on Robbie's nerves, probably, because I criticize him periodically. Um, uh, but let's give credit where it's due. This is a remarkably efficiently told little story. 
um, where he does all these things very quickly and very effectively. It's funny, it moves fast, um, there's no messing about, it reveals character, and then we're out. And it's like, wow, great. You like this little one shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good example of things that Robbie does very, very well, which is get a lot of stuff done in a very short amount of time. This is very true. Um, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. This is true. Um, and so these kragans that he's come up with are Dave saying how they're warriors and hunters, mm. but they're being yes. corrupted by human influence. Right. Some are even becoming vegetarians. Oh my God. Heaven forfend. Yes. Um, and so he doesn't want any more human Romanov rule yeah. tainting them. Yeah. And Dante explains the Romanovs have kicked their asses before. We'll mm -hmm. do it again. And Dave wheels out the Kraga cannon. We'll make you vegans and you'll like it. <laughs> right. Which cannon. is a, a, an EMP weapon that will destroy hardware and tech, including those much prized weapons crests. I love it. Keith, Derek, bring forth the Kraga <laughs> cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie's having a good time here. Oh, that's funny. He's having a good time that's here. A funny one. Mm. Um... And, uh, but it'll, so it'll destroy them, but leave the meat of the body undamaged. Their weapons crests will be gone so that they can eat them. So this is obviously some sort of personality cult based on carnivorism. Yes. Um, it's like some kind of macho. Yes, macho yeah. uh, Raging carnivores Raging like ourselves. Carnivores. Oh boy. And so Dante says, like, stop monologuing and shoot me already mm -hmm. then, if you're so keen. And as he's saying this, blows up the cannon with his huntsman. Right. And stabs an oncoming Kragan mm -hmm. up through the bottom of the jaw with his bio blade. Cute little guys. Yeah, they are. They they do seem a bit smaller, don't they? They seem to be suffering from some sort of inf inferiority complex. Poor guys. Mm. They're little tunics. I feel bad for them. Yeah. So um, they're trying it, you know, like mm -hmm. bless them for trying an uprising. Mm -hmm. um, if nobody did that, we would be living, living in a um, much worse world in some cases. Um, but in any event, uh, he legs it, Dante legs it, mm -hmm. and is screaming for the crest to lead him back to the Strikehawk ship uh, to warn Constantin, and the crest is like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> he stayed behind because he knew this would happen. Like, you don't right. need to warn him about anything. The reason you're out in front here is because you are literally cannon fodder. Right. Um, so now we're back 13 minutes later, back to the future, and multiple... Kragen cannons are surrounding and firing on Dante and nothing happens. So the cannons don't work. Mm. And Constantine appears and says that using an untested weapon in battle is proof that the Kragans suck at governance. Mm -hmm. And then does some like Dr. Strange looking fusion mm -hmm. energy blast yeah. stuff. Um, and it's, uh, I, I love that there are these um, added in um, refreshers on what the different powers are, because yeah. God knows I forget. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's like, it's a fusion energy blast equal to the power of Imperial war machines. Right. So I, was, I wasn't remembering that in the last little story we got. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Whatever an Imperial war machine is, we don't really know that. I mean, we just assume that the Imperials mighty. seem pretty mighty, so, mm. you yeah. know. And he blows the Kragans and their cannons to pieces. Aw, brutal um, guys. And Dante's like, could you let me get out of the way first? Yeah. And honestly, how the hell did he survive that? He was like right in the middle of those fusion blasts. Yeah, I, I guess know. they were just sort of forming and he managed to like sidestep it. Like, I don't... I guess Constantine's probably sort of screwing around with them. I guess. He's like sending them kind yeah, of like just past yeah, him and then forming them up behind him or something. Okay. Um, and uh, Dave says he'll pay the tax now. Yeah. And with and an more. extra 5% for their insolence. This is make a 10. If you're going to be obsequious, go for blow. blow. <laughs> okay. And Dante realizes that Constantine just used him as bait to see if the cannons work. You would think you'd have got that by now, that really Constantine is only ever going to use him as bait. 
But no, he didn't get it. And there you go. He didn't get well, it. Was Dante learning some hard lessons? The, yes, Dante is learning some life lessons. And so now we actually come to the end of Tour of Duty. <laughs> oh, my yeah, goodness. Standing in the ruins again. Of, of a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, poor little dragons. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's that. Um, but, uh, you know, we thought since uh, Tour of Duty, it didn't really fit anywhere else. And it's only the three episodes. We thought that we would do some listener fan, Dante fan questions, questions for the first time yes. um, for the rest of the episode. So mm -hmm. I have some questions here. Mm -hmm. um, I put out on Twitter and uh, our Facebook group, which you can join if you're on Facebook, the great Dante read through. I think we've got like 14 people in there right now. So gloriously beautiful, people. wonderful, smart people. And we have, we do have more Twitter followers mm -hmm. since last time as well. We had like 23 last time and now we're up to 29. So we got six more people. They're also very beautiful. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, the first question, uh, is from Willie Russell. Willie Russell. Yes. Hello. Hey, um, Willie, uh, said, this is a rude question, so mm -hmm. feel free to ignore it. Okay. He won't be upset with you. Sure. But were there times when either Simon or Robbie was eager to do more Dante, but the other wasn't? Yes. And how do you negotiate a situation like that? <laughs> you don't. You don't <laughs> negotiate it. If one of them's not willing to do it, that's the end of it. Mm. Um, but it tends to work the other way. It tends to work towards Robbie's favor, because Robbie's the, the only writer on Dante. And I'm one of several artists. So if he wants to do Dante and I don't want to do it, then he goes again and does it. And if I want to do Dante and he doesn't want to do it, then nothing happens. Yeah, and that's how that works. It's a writer's world. It's a writer's world. Yeah, it's um, you know such as such as life. Yes, um, it happens rarely though. I mean, it's 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 mostly we're in agreement. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, we've had and you've had ongoing conversations about Dante yeah. and mm -hmm. the idea of other things mm -hmm. in the Dante verse yeah. for it's some years. It's an ongoing conversation. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, right. It's just an ongoing conversation, and we're all doing other things. And but Dante's never far from our minds. Mm -hmm. I would say. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yes. In fact, after the fortieth. Uh, anniversary con mm -hmm. we was it was that that it was after that we sat down with Robbie in that cafe mm -hmm. and you guys were having chats about possible yeah. other Dante verse mm -hmm. things that was all the way back in 2017 mm -hmm. so you know nothing's happened but I can verify these conversations are ongoing they, they take place yes um so Willie's next question is really is funny it going to be rude as well so he put <laughs> you posted a pic of the cover that you did. You said it was the first all digital cover that you did Which with Contessa De Winter. Oh God! On yeah, it yeah, with Dante's yeah, yeah, yeah. got his mm -hmm. arm around her waist. Right, yeah, the kind of movie poster. She's sort of one. smiling. Yeah, it's very heavily based on the Mark of the Mark of Zorro. I think the one. Yeah, Mark of Zorro. Yeah, the wall here. The one that we have on the wall in our, our hallway. Yeah. Very influential poster. Yes, um, uh, from Batman. That was the movie that they yes, were going to see in that's Batman. The reference. Yeah, yes. that's why I got that poster. Uh, that the that the uh, we should say the. Um, Wayne's were going to see and were shot in the alley. As, as, as we are. Uh, All Batman. too painfully reminded again, again and again and again because Batman again. just can't let it go. Cannot see a string of pearls. Batman needs some therapy. Batman needs to shut up and go home. Anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, so he posted a pic of this, of he her did. lovely smiling face, yes. and uh -huh. he asked, how does Edie cope with seeing Simon draw several variations on his feminine ideal and realize they don't all look exactly like her? So this is a I've, question I've for me. I've drawn Edie. And, this and is, but this, uh, is you it? have. I have drawn You have. Yeah, so he's asking, how do I deal with it? Oh, well, okay. 
that I don't, well, I don't know how you deal with it. How do I, I presume, deal with it? I presume you deal with it very well. <laughs> as you do um, uh, I think that this is, uh, I would say to some degree, this is, well, it's, you know, that's actually an interesting question. We sort of touched on this. I mm. mean, I think he was being cheeky mm -hmm. in one way. I can't exactly tell how oh, he, was being cheeky, he was being but, cheeky, but he was being cheeky in one way or another. But, mm -hmm. um, what's interesting about it is we did mention in the last episode, I was saying something about how I didn't want to get into a who wore it best contest with the Contessa de Winter mm -hmm. because of how she looked in that beautiful velvet gown. Right. And I said, and you were mm -hmm. saying you maybe would have it made for me or something. Mm -hmm. You're sort of joking. Yeah. Um, and you were like, yeah, but you can't compete with a drawing. No. So, I mean, I guess that's how I feel. It's like, mm. it's a drawing. So like, of course you can't, I mean, it's the, not real. I would question the idea of a feminine ideal. There's like one Feminine that was ideal. the other thing I was thinking. I don't is that think that such a thing exists. We and have, I think, yeah. yeah, we have a variety of people, like from from Ellie all the way to the Contessa. Like mm -hmm. they do not look the same. Lulu doesn't look the same, no. though she's all, also very slim, but she's older, you know. And uh, so, I mean, you you draw such a wide variety of women that um, I find women women endlessly fascinating, yeah. and I contain multitudes. Yes, you do, yeah. and. Uh, and yes, it is funny that he's saying that doesn't look exactly like her because, of course, you did draw me into I did. Dante. Yes. Um, anyone who's read the 40th anniversary issue of Dante. Yes. Um, I am in that first couple of pages. So that that'll be like our final episode of this podcast. We'll be getting to be, that yeah. issue. The green dress. Um, the green dress. Uh, but we'll get there. Indeed. Gotta wait for it. Um, but I would say also, you know, this is where having a, a bisexual wife really comes in handy. Because I love looking at all these beautiful women that you draw. <laughs> you know, it's not hard it's a work. Win -win. It is not hard work at all. And mm. and there's something wonderful about having a, a husband who can draw so many different kinds of beautiful women. And you draw women so well, Simon. Um, they feel like they have weight and life to them. They don't feel like fake people. Mm. Um I hope so. And no, you're you're exceptionally good at that. And I think that's one of the one of the reasons I fell in love with you, well, to be honest. You, thank you. It's been yeah. kind of good to say so. Yeah. I think the thing the, the only secret is that, that if you're drawing female characters, you draw them as you would male characters. You draw them as characters. Mm. And that's what makes them sexy or interesting. Yeah. I mean, how they look is one part of that, but also how they carry themselves and the, the confidence, the way they express themselves, that's also part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them com interesting, compelling characters. Mm. And the fact that they're women is just part of it. It's like, that's the whole thing. Yeah, it's very well said. There you go. Very well said. Um, so we are moving on to... Next question. Next question from Colin YNWA. Hey, Colin. Who we are calling Content Colin. Content Colin. Because bless him, when I put out the, the sort of hurried, like, give us questions ASAP, mm -hmm. uh, when I realized this episode was going to be a little short, um, he came up with five questions. He's just right on it. bang, bang, bang. So thank you, Content Colin. Um, so his first question is uh, he says he recently got a collection of Dante in hardcover from Hachette. Um, and while it's part of a wider collection, as a fan, it's a wonderful thing to have. Mm -hmm. um, but what would be, because it's part of the wider, like, Hachette 2000 AD yep. mm -hmm. verse yes. uh, collection, but what would be your ideal way for Dante to be presented? Or do you not care? You're happy it's accessible digital, and you don't really think about it. I mean, I, I, I like, like that it's available digitally. I feel that was that was a, a, a missing thing for a long time. Um, I really like the Hachette editions. They're you're beautiful. And I, I certainly would be nice to have a, a definitive Dante edition um, in that kind of format. Um, but I think Hachette did a great job. And I'm very happy with how those those copies, those editions of it look. Um, 
It was very yeah. exciting when 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 the comp copy would arrive and we'd get yeah. to have a look at it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. felt really. No, it, I, it's as close to yeah. an ideal edition as I think. I mean, obviously, there's the kind of like the, the sort of artist fantasy of like slipcase limited editions and bound in leather. But um, no, I think the Hachette editions are the omnibus. probably as good as we're going to get. Mm. I mean, obviously, if if God, the gods willing, somehow Dante kicked off into some kind of higher media sphere and became some other thing and then became super famous, then there would be all kinds of beautiful collected editions. But at the moment, I think the Hachette edition is as good as we're going to get. And yeah. I'm very happy about that. Um, so uh, Colin also asks, uh, when you're asked to draw Dante by fans, is it a sigh? Like oh, you're no, being never. asked to play it's your never. greatest hits or do you love the fact that it's still loved and enjoy never. returning never. to him? Uh, Dante is a weird one because Dante is entirely my character and has always expressed me um, in every time I draw Dante, he reflects back on the way, my state of mind at the time. So if Dante's looking cheerful and bright, then Dante's in good space, and I'm probably in good space. And if Dante looks a little sad, I'm going, oh, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? And it's an interesting way for me to sort of self-analyze myself. Sort of your, so, your yeah. id or your... He's a, a kind of yeah. mirror. It's a mirror into my soul. So yeah, I love doing Dante, and I, it's never boring because it's never the same. And he always reflects some part of me at that time. So yeah, I always loved drawing Dante. Yeah. And he, uh, Colin also wanted to know uh, that he, um, calling it your greatest hits is based on the assumption that you consider Dante your greatest hit. Hmm. And he says that's him projecting because he's biased. He hmm. loves Dante. But do you consider it your greatest work? That's a tough one. Hmm. That's a really tough one. I think Dante is very good work for the time of my life that I did it. I think I'm more capable now than I was. Um, but the, you don't get to choose what your, your the thing you remembered for is. I mean, maybe Dante will be the thing I'm remembered for. Maybe there's something else coming, which down the line, which should be more so. I don't know. You never know. I mean, I, I don't know if John Wagner would would have been aware that dread would be the thing that would define him. Um, so I don't know if if Dante is the thing that will define my career. I have no idea. Now that it will be considered to be my greatest hit, the thing that I stopped doing in my 30s. Um, but I'd love to do something else, and it would be nice to, to think that I have something else great in me. Right. Assuming that I have great in me at all. Um, and But I'm very happy with Dante at the time. Mm. It's a very And now you're still happy with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this part of the read, the reason for the read-through is because I want to go back and look at it again as, a, as, as someone who's moved on considerably in my life and to look at it from this point of view is kind of fascinating um and i i'm i am pretty impressed with it by, by and large trying to take a <clears throat> sort of objective stance on it <laughs> so yeah um yeah uh, to answer the question i'm hoping you don't it consider will, it your greatest work you I'm hope not, that it won't be the only i'm candidate. not dead yet when i'm dead and if that's all that's left then by all means you consider it we'll any hold way a you seance want. like for houdini sure. and we'll see if i don't that's what I don't consider. get to choose that. Yeah, that's unfortunately. true. Um, so, uh, I also, Colin, in this question, I love that he says, finally, for now. Mm, okay. <laughs> this is final. But um, what I also want to say is, like, podcast folks that are listening, um, feel free to keep shooting questions, um, either on the 2080 forums or at Twitter, at PodTGDR, mm -hmm. our Facebook group. I will keep collecting them in a document, and we will, if we don't get to them this time... I will, I will save them for future episodes. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of great to be able to have folks ask us questions. Yeah. Um, so he's saying, you clearly traveled a lot while working on Dante. How do you think that influenced what we saw and which places that you've lived do you think have had the greatest impact on your work generally? Oof. That's a good question. That's an interesting question. 
Um, it certainly had a big influence because Dante was always supposed to be globetrotting and the fact that I was globetrotting at the time helped a lot. Uh, the next story coming up is Cadre Infernal, which is set in Venice, which Robbie and I were in. Uh, so we knew exactly what we were doing when we were setting that story. Um, so I've got photographs of me and Robbie in Venice. Is that uh, the one we have framed yes, on the wall? That's, that's you and Robbie in Venice. That's the one of me and Robbie in Venice. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely something that was important. And we did choose locations considerably based on where I was. Uh, Vienna was certainly very influential on the Russian stuff, um, for better or for worse. Um, and certain things took place in Italy. Um, Edinburgh, we've got a, there's something coming up in. Uh, there's a big later section that takes place in New York, which, not coincidentally, I was living in at the time. Um, so, yeah, for sure, you use it. It's part of the fuel that, fuel, that fuels it. So, yes, all mm. good. And uh, he was saying, um, which places you've lived do you think had the greatest impact on your work generally? Oh, God. Um, probably Rome, oh. probably Rome, because an awful lot of neoclassical stuff in Dante, just mm. by default, the default setting was neoclassical, so a lot of Rome comes in there. Um, but probably, I mean, if you're looking at like going right back, it, it's probably Scotland, because a lot of like things that are part of my artistic development when I was very young are still in there. It's like, like neoclassicism from Edinburgh, because I grew up, I lived in Edinburgh for a long time. Mm. So that certainly affects it. Um, and so then he, he threw a question at me at oh, the yeah. end. Mm -hmm. Is it odd being married to someone who has such a specific aspect to their fame? When you get middle-aged balding men past their prime, <laughs> he says he's speaking for himself there. Gushing and getting all starstruck over Simon, is past that weird? Your prime? I think not. Of course you aren't. Of course you aren't. Um, gushing and getting all starstruck over Simon, is that weird? Um, no. I absolutely love it when anyone gets excited about <laughs> Simon and his work. I probably like it a lot more than Simon because you're an introvert. Not because yeah. he doesn't appreciate it. He appreciates every bit of it. But sometimes he's a little introverted and he has to like drum it up to like mm. keep going through the longer cons. It's a I little... can be an extrovert for the weekend the right. convention. But like afterwards, you go I'm to like, sleep Bleh. immediately when we get home to the room because it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, a lot of stimulus. It's, a lot. it's, it's a lot. wonderful stimulus, but it's still a lot of it. I live my life locked in a box. Yeah. You're not an extrovert like me. Yeah, that's true. So I love it. I love seeing people get excited about Simon. And this was another thing that was great about the 40th anniversary, which I always talk about, the mm -hmm. 40th anniversary con, because you're much, that sort of thing happens much more for you in Britain than it does oh, it happened in, in America. Britain. It doesn't really happen here. I go to a lot of conventions <laughs> in the US and barely, there's, there's a, maybe a, a glimmer of recognition. Some people have read 2008, or maybe they've seen my Doctor Who Doctor stuff Who, way back, yeah. but there's not. There's, I'm largely anonymous in the room and I'm I'm the guy doing cheap sketches in the corner. Yeah. And if you're interested in, if you come to America and you see me at a con, I'm the guy doing the cheap he sketches. does great so, cheap yeah, sketches. I'll Dude, um, I'll draw your family as Batman. Just ask me. Ooh, um, honey, don't ask them to request likenesses. You're oh, really, yeah, no, you're sorry. really. I will not draw your family there. as Batman. I don't like Batman. I hate likenesses. Um, <laughs> but I can do that, and I will do that um, because largely my position at conventions in America is to be an entertainer. Yes. Uh, because people have not heard of Nicolai. But Dante. but at the fortieth, um, I remember the the weirdest, greatest moment for me right up mm -hmm. top was we were walking into the hotel. And walking down the hall, and someone shouted your name from down the hall. They, oh, like, yeah. screamed your name. They were mm -hmm. like, Simon Fraser. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my they God. know you on site. Parallel world. Like, you were just walking around, and I just love it. It was fabulous. So more of that, please. Um, I love seeing people get excited about you because I get excited about you. So it's great. Oh, thank you, baby. Yeah. And one of, my, one of my favorite memories was... Um, 
uh, early on when you did a Doctor Who signing and mm -hmm. one of the first people up to the front of the line was this rather bashful teenage girl who mm -hmm. really, really loved your art and was really nervous oh, yeah, to meet yeah, you yeah. and like pose. Mm -hmm. I have pictures of her taking pictures with you mm -hmm. because I thought it was so adorable and I could not handle it. Like I, it was so cute. I think it's it very so important. Sweet. I think that's one of the things that's very important about doing this and being in public as an artist is that people come up to you and say, oh my God, your art really inspires me. You really got to push that because that's something that a lot of people, it's very important to them. Yeah. You, you, you see a lot of people in a day and you have to treat them all like you know, with respect. It's a know. moment for them. But for them, it's a thing. It's, it's a like big thing. It's a moment. And it can have a big effect on their lives. Mm. I get emails from people who like I met like 20 years ago and when they were children. And now they're like, oh my God, they're doing things in their lives. And it's like, it's an enormous privilege to be part of someone's development like that, for, especially for kids. Um, and to, to give them that reassurance that this is a vi viable way to make a living, a viable way to or make a life. Or just something to pursue if you like yeah, it. if you I enjoy mean... it. And that your work can be, and you, you are allowed to do these things. Mm. There's nobody stopping you and you can have, a, have this aspect of your life, which is very rewarding. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very important. I like I like that very much. It's very special. Mm. Um, and he says, uh, Colin also said you also mentioned you're a writer. Where might we might we read your work? Thank you for asking, mm -hmm. Colin. You can go to um, Edie Nugent e d i e n u g e n t dot pressfolios dot com. That is my clip site, and it has I think everything that I've ever written pretty much is up there. Yeah. They're just pages and pages of it. You can keep clicking down and go through all my my old school stuff all the way back to like read 2014. Her, read her Carrie Fisher essay. It's very Yeah, good. the Carrie Fisher one is, you got to click back a little bit for that. But if yeah. you Google Edie Nugent and Carrie Fisher, mm -hmm. it should probably come up. It Simon did up. a beautiful illustration for yeah, that one. It comes up right away. Um, Carrie Fisher was a huge influence and inspiration to me mm -hmm. um, and to, to me as a writer. So and when to she, me as an artist. When she passed, um, I wrote uh, an essay, mm -hmm. personal essay for her, which is probably... One of the things I'm most proud of yeah, that I've ever piece. written. Um, thank you. Uh, so, uh, Funt Solo, good old Funt. Hey, Funt. Funt's the one who did the graph for us of like the different pages in Dante yes. and which artists were on yes, them. Yes, yes, yes. Bless. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, they ask, why the long break, 2003 to 2005, from art duties? Up until that point, it was multi-artist and became mostly a two-hander with you and John Burns, but there's a long non-Fraser bit where it looked like, from a re reader's perspective, that you were off the project. Um, 2003 to 2005. I can give you an answer uh, for that if you're having sea. trouble. That's mostly the cruel seas, isn't it? Um, Gabby. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> Simon had a baby in 2003. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. I was also living in Kenya. Life got really complicated at that point. Um, yeah. I forget what happened there. Specific, I mean, I, I know what happened, broadly speaking, but I, I mean, I wasn't drawing much at that point. Um, I think, what happened? Yeah, I was I was kind of away from things for a while. Yeah. Um, and Robbie wanted to pick up Dante again, and I'm like, well, you know, you have fun with your, your pirate ships. Mm. Um, and he did, and it's and great. And he did. And we're glad of it. Yes. Um, so, uh, fun to ask a couple more questions that I'm going to go ahead and save, because um, we got a very interesting one on Twitter. Mm -hmm. from Andrew McCarran at Mr. Andy McCarran. Mm -hmm. Were you ever approached to license Dante in another medium? He's saying he's midway through Zar Wars and keeps feeling it as a weekly Amazon Prime series. <laughs> Andrew, I agree with you. I think Dante is perfect 
for an adaption for an ongoing streaming service series. Mm -hmm. There's so much here. There's such a big world. Yeah. You could really do a lot with it. Who yeah. doesn't love a swashbuckler with like world building and weird characters? I mean, it could it could really be something. So part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to get people excited about Dante again because you never know. Yeah. You I never mean, know. It's, a lot of it would was not possible. Uh, 20 years ago. Right. We could, doing a, a Dante TV show was like, that's, no, that's ridiculously expensive. Um, now, because of the technology, um, the way you things are moving. just green screen it up? Well, a lot of it can be done that way. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly a lot more flexibility. And um, I think that's what Rebellion are trying to do. I, though I have no inside knowledge on that at all. Mm. So, so were nice you ever think. approached to license Dante? Uh, there were, early on, there was a television Bible written for it uh, by Robbie. Um, but I don't know whatever happened to that. I think I... Early, you're not aware of anybody asking for the rights. Um, I don't get consulted on that. Okay. Um, I periodically hear whispers about stuff, uh, people questioning things. Um, there was muttering about DreamWorks and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I don't know enough about it to say definitively if that was true. Um, all I can say is yes. Um, part of Rebellion's strategy early on certainly was as li a licensing uh, entity because the reason that 2008 was bought was because there's an awful lot of really good material there, a lot of good IP. Um, and that, as far as I know, is still important to to Rebellion. Um, and certainly, they're they've they're not shy about going forward and spending their own money on that. So, um, hopefully, we'll see some some developments in that in the future. I don't know though because nobody Fingers talks crossed. to me about it. Um, um, yeah. And uh, our last question is yeah. from Mr. Tim Hamilton. Tim Hamilton. Tim Hamilton. Oh my God! At... An artist from Nicolai Dante <laughs> who has actually drawn an episode of Nicolai Dante. Really? Are we, yeah, we're yeah, going to get to that? Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so Tim. excited. So Tim is a lovely person and artist and has done well, a bunch of his... Too much. <laughs> a bunch of his own books. New Yorker cartoonist Tim. And Hamilton. I was just about to say, is yeah. if you if you Google New Yorker and yes. Tim Hamilton, you will see yeah. many of his wonderful entries. Uh, he's at Timony Hamilton. That's Tim O N E Y Hamilton mm -hmm. yep. on Twitter. Has any American made Simon a satisfactory cup of tea? Uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Did I actually do it right? I think so. I mean, I'm not really into tea. I was going to say you're not you're, really you're a tea fun, person. You're much I'm more the fussy tea about person. Tea. I am much more fussy um, about tea. A lot tea. of Americans have made very good cups of coffee. Yes. Uh, and tea is like, yeah, okay, tea's a thing. I mean, I do that have exists. a brown Betty. You do. You um, to that. And uh, I have read articles about like warming up the teapot yeah, first yeah, and you're, you're and letting it. the tea bloom and and that sort of thing. Yeah. And we do have proper British tea in our cupboard, which is my a favorite. Of a lot of it. Um, I have Yorkshire gold and, and Scottish, Scottish blend mm -hmm. tea yeah. uh, in there. So yeah, well, thank you. I, I do work very hard on my tea. You do. But you really are more of a coffee man. Yeah. Every morning it's the coffee. Yeah, coffee first. Yes, coffee first. Bustello for the win. Bustello FTW. Um, so we are closing the book. On Dante for today. We are. Um, and we will be back next week with, can you pronounce the name? Because I can't do it right. The Cadre Infernal. There we go. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. And if so, please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us ratings and reviews wherever, whenever you can. And tell your friends about the podcast. People who might want to start reading Dante and want some friends to be there, you know, in podcast land to do Basically it along a with them. Reading group. A reading Dante, group. Join it? our reading yes. group. Um, follow us on Twitter at PodTGDR. Let us know what you think of the podcast of Dante Comics, whatever's on your mind. I'm Edie. I'm Simon. And we will catch you next time. See ya.